Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Those who are able are invited to stand out of respect to God's Word. Our first lesson is from the book of the Psalms. We'll be hearing verses from the 119th Psalm, beginning with the 97th verse. This entire Psalm, which is the longest in the book of prayers, uh, deals with the power, the beauty, the importance, the love of God's law. Listen to God's Word speak to your life today. And the psalmist writes, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep thy precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way, in order to keep thy word. I do, I do not turn aside from thy ordinances, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Invite those who are able to please stand for our second lesson. It comes from Matthew's Gospel in the fifth chapter. <clears throat> Listen now to the Word of God. Jesus is speaking when He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. <clears throat> I think that everyone here has at least once in his or her life faced the following awkward situation. You find yourself in the middle of a conversation. It's a social gathering. You walk in, you see some people speaking, you know them, you enter their space, or you are late for a committee meeting and you have a seat, and in the middle of the situation that you realize, obviously something has happened before I got here, and obviously this conversation is going to go somewhere else, and I have come into the middle of it, and it is awkward, definitely awkward. 
And when you're faced with that situation, you've got one of three options based, again, on the circumstances and your relationship with the people there. Particularly if you've been at a social gathering and you walk in and you're kind of in the middle of a conversation, you can always say, oh, goodness, I need to refill my drink. Excuse me. Or you can say, oh, there's so-and-so over there. I've been meaning to speak to him. If you'll excuse me, and you graciously and discreetly excuse yourself from that situation, that conversation. Or, again, depending on the circumstances, the relationships, you can remain there, but you know you must listen intently and get the backstory by clues of what goes on in the current conversation where it's followed and try to bring yourself up to speed. That often happens in a large committee setting. Or a third option, you just say, and you're that comfortable saying, look, y'all, I've obviously just walked into a conversation and you've got to bring me up to speed. And so they put the pause button, you get a short summary of what has come to pass, where it's going, and then they launch again, and you're right in there in the middle of it. Well, today, our lesson is a bit like that moment in a long conversation. We've heard the lesson. We've heard the words from Matthew's gospel. There might be a phrase or two that are a little off-putting, trying to figure out what exactly does that mean. And standing by itself, this is a very awkward passage. Please, let us not excuse ourselves. Let us not, let us remain for this. So I'm going to rule out option one. And for option two, it would not be fair to you to say, well, just listen to the message and try to figure it out. So I'm going to go for option three and say, y'all, I'm going to put a pause button and bring us up to speed and say where it's going. This passage is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has been speaking the Beatitudes before this. And we've had that long sermon series going through each of the Beatitudes one by one and saying some things that are maybe a little different, radical, shake things up. After this passage, where he talks about the law, he will begin to unpack it. And in the weeks ahead, we'll be looking at specific case studies of the law and what it means to fulfill it. That is what's coming afterwards. So today, we're here for this one moment as he speaks about the law, some big terms. I'm not going to abolish it. I'm going to fulfill it. And to get a handle on this, we need to look at the purpose of the law, the problem with the law, and the plan for the law as Jesus does just that, that work of fulfillment. And first we have the purpose of the law. Now again, those of us who grew up in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and have heard the sermons know that the law often gets a bad rap and those that support it, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're the bad guys, they're wearing the black hats and Jesus is in the white hat and uh, the law we think must be a bad thing. But its purpose was to be a guide and a help. The people want to follow God wholeheartedly. What is our help? What is our guideline? It is the law. That is why I had, a, had read first part of Psalm 119, where the author delights in the law that it directs him in the steps that he needs to go. It is a light to his path. 
and, and it will guide him wherever he is. It's meant to direct us, to show us the way to go. About a month ago, I was standing before here, uh, red as a beet. I had had a lot of sun that previous Saturday. I had participated in a Tough Mudder event held uh, near Pensacola, Florida. I drove down by myself, and I wanted to do something on the way down. I wanted to explore, and I went to Britton Hill, Florida. Does anybody by chance know what Britton Hill, Florida is? And if you don't, don't worry, because I didn't think anybody would. It is the highest point in the state of Florida, 345 feet. And I climbed it. <laughs> I mean, from the parking lot to the official spot, it's like about like walking up the sanctuary to get to that final bit. It is um, just across the state line from Alabama, and it's near Highway 331, but besides that, it's really just out there in the country, and you've got to want to go there, but there is good signage. And that's just what I needed. I went to MapQuest and got my directions, and so I go down to Dothan, and uh, with that point where you get to the circle, and if you turn left to go to Panama City Beach and to Destin and all the other beaches, for the first time in my life, I turned right. It was an historic occasion. I've never gone right at that light. And around I go, Highway 84 takes me out to Enterprise. So far, so good. And then there are a couple of state highways to catch. And then there was this county road I was supposed to catch to cut me over to another set of highways. Well, I missed that county road. Reading the signs, I realized, wait, I'm on the wrong, I'm, I'm on a good highway, but I've obviously passed my point. So I pulled the car off, pulled into a side road, and pulled out my state of Alabama map. Figured out from a couple of clues, this is where, just about where I am, and this is where I need to go. Again, a couple of county roads were on the map, I could follow those. They would get me back to where I needed to be, maybe eight, ten miles it added to my journey. And then I was on the way to see Britain Hill and to climb it. The map did not, was not a burden to me. It was a joy. It guided me and showed me the way that I needed to go. Or another example came to me last night, so Rob, I didn't get a chance to call you about it. Uh, but this past summer, when Jim Harbison and I came back from the mission trip to Russia, Rob met us at the airport, the new international terminal in Atlanta. And I'm trying to remember, y'all can tell me afterwards, is it four years old? It's not, it's fairly recent that it's been there. And as we were leaving, we were driving down the road, do you remember that? And we looked at the signage and all of a sudden, we're not on 285. This is not leading us to Interstate 85 and Columbus. We had, to, well, Rob had to turn around, get off and turn us around, come back, and then we found the signs, this way to 285, this way to 85, and we obviously got back here safe and sound. The signs, the maps, they were guides to help us and show us the way to go. John Calvin himself, the father of the Reformed tradition, said there were three purposes for the law. It shows us where we have sinned. It shows us 
This is not the road to Columbus. This is not the road to Britain Hill. It restrains us from sin. Go this way and you'll pick up 285. And it guides us to life. This is the way to get to Britain Hill. This is the way to get to Columbus. And then later, my Florida trek, this is the way to get to I-10. When we think about the law, I think that book of Leviticus in the Old Testament comes to mind the most because it is the law. Guidelines, a lot of technical directions, and it is, can quite frankly be a boring book overall to read. There's great detail, and this is how you give an offering. This is how it must be structured. This is what the priests must be wearing. Very detailed. Well, they took their worship seriously, so that's a good thing, but it can get boring. But back um, fall, late fall of 2013, when we were in the story, Reverend Hasty had assigned a section of Leviticus for me to read as the first lesson. And I remember in that passage, it talked about needing to forgive those that have wronged you. And immediately, the Spirit was bringing to mind someone with whom I was, was on the out, someone not in town, so don't do a roll call of here. And I remember reading it going, but Lord, twice I have tried to initiate a reconciliation with this person, and for whatever reason, he doesn't get it. But again, the Spirit was prompting. As I said, the early service, I was really put out with him for picking that passage because the Holy Spirit is tapping my shoulder and directing me in a way to go. And through a couple of uh, divine appointments and conversations, I was able to make a, I made a third attempt. And third time was the charm. And we are reconciled. The law directed me in that way. So the, the, the purpose is a good thing. But then we have the problem with the law, the challenge of it, and particularly as we see in Scripture. And again, I need to give you the backstory as to how the Pharisees kind of got so wrapped up in how we see it in the New Testament. You have to go back several centuries. There's the United Kingdom of Israel, and then there's the divided Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah. And Assyria conquers the Northern Kingdom and scatters the people throughout their empire. And largely the Jewish, those Jews from the Northern Kingdom are absorbed into the other nations. Babylon um, ca captures Judah hundred and some years later. And their plan was they basically took, the, took them as a group to Babylon so they could keep their identity. And so while they're in Babylon, the Jews are there in exile. And they're going, what did we do to deserve this? We did not follow God's law. And by golly, if we ever get back there, we'll never let this happen again. And so they were determined not to fail. You can think of examples today of, of people. Think of the child who grew up in a very um, kind of loosey-goosey kind of situation at home and then how structured that person can become. I know a friend, to see him, he is tight, he is sharp. I have office envy, having seen his office. It is so neat and in place and minimalist. And um, I mean, he, he goes through his books every year. Do I still need that one? No, I can give it away. I've read it, I've used it. I'll give it away or resell or something like that. I'll never have an office like him. 
um, too much of a pack rat. And again, very sharp and precise. Perfect yuppie looking fellow. But then you get his story and his background and I'm going like, how did you ever end up where you are? How did you not end up in some gutter somewhere with a kind of wild and chaotic background of your early years? Kind of gone to the other side. But then we also know people who grew up, particularly children, very overly, overly strict homes, usually not much, maybe much love there, or it was hard to be seen. It was very tight, very controlled. And so when they become parents, they tend to let anything go with the children. You want a second helping of chocolate cocoa puff cereal? Go right ahead. Bounce off the walls. I'm okay with it. I will not be like my parents. We've all seen examples of that in varying degrees. They were not going to repeat the looseness, and so they went, began to go in the other direction. One of the good questions was, well, how do we apply the law to make sure that we're doing it right? Well, here are a set of guidelines. If you do this, strictly speaking, you're not working on the Sabbath. If you do this, you are. Okay, you know what the safe guidelines is. You know what the safe space is. And I'm even going to say, in and of itself, that's not a bad thing but they began to go overboard and obsess with it so that the how-tos became more important than the actual law themselves and the purpose behind it. It was the obsession with that that Jesus will give them such a hard time about to say to some of the Pharisees, you, you, you'll tithe the mints and, your, 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 and the spices, the smallest things you've got, you'll tithe but you forget the big picture of what I've called you to be a part. You'll dedicate something and not let it be used to help your parents who need your help. In a way, it's like today, as opposed to saying to somebody, you invite me to do something, I simply don't want to do it. You, you say, I've got to go out of town. And it's actually quite easy for me to do that. All I do is simply a few blocks across a bridge and I have gone out of town. I have gone out of the state. And for those of you in Alabama, you can do the same thing. Come across here and you have checked it off. County, city, state, boom, you're out of it. And strictly speaking, you have told the truth. But have you really? And so we have the problem, and then we have the plan for the law that Jesus seeks to fulfill, that he explains. Because in his new way of approach to the law, he's getting a reputation of wanting to abolish it, this foundational truth that they have. And he's making it clear, I do not want to abolish, I have come to fulfill it. The verb used for abolish is also used as destroy, as in a reference to destroy the temple. Some of you uh, may have actually witnessed or seen on television the implosion of buildings. Um, something new needs to be built, they have the old one, and it is imploded. Uh, I've seen over the years several ones. Never seen it live, but I've seen it recorded. I mean, live there. I did watch it once live on television. Charlotte, one of the landmarks buildings, because like Atlanta, they tear down everything, uh, was being brought down. The first skyscraper was being brought down, and I watched it. Well, it's that kind of idea of destruction and he's saying, no, I've not come to do that. In the end, he said, I've come to take it to the next level. 
Because remember, Jesus, as God the Son, gave the law to Moses. God in triune glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, met Moses in the burning bush. And God spoke through the prophets, calling the people to return to God's way, to calling them to the law. Jesus knows the law better than the scribes and Pharisees. He wrote it. Imagine being at a book club and the author of the book that you are studying is able to appear. Imagine you're able to bring that, you know, Carson McCullers and you could ask her about the book. Okay, is this person really somebody here in town? Or is it just based on somebody in town? Come clean, what are you talking about? Or pick any other author that you like. And to be able to sit down and say, what exactly did you mean here? We've had those discussions. Oh, I think Jane Austen meant this. Oh, I think Jane Austen meant that. But if Miss Jane is in the room, she can tell you exactly what she meant with each person. To do the research on this, I even went back to John Calvin himself, the big guy, starter again, founder of the Reformed tradition, and looked at his commentary on Matthew and what he had to say about the passage and translated from the French. He referenced about Christ coming and saying, I came not to destroy. How how God had made clear that um, from the beginning of his own people that he would say, he said to them, I will write my law in their hearts and I'll remember their iniquities no more, recorded in Jeremiah. And then Calvin says, this is also the meaning of Christ's words when he says that he came to fulfill the law for he actually fulfilled it by quickening with his spirit the dead letter and then exhibiting the reality what had hitherto appeared only in figures. Or as one modern commentator said, Jesus contrasts the righteousness he requires with that which was manifested by the scribes and the Pharisees. For them, it was simply a matter of external observance, a form or pretense. Jesus insists that it must be a matter of the heart, of motive, of desire, as well as external performance. Above all, it must be a righteousness which regards the will of God versus seeking to secure merely the approval of men and women. It's more than simply mere formal righteousness. Jesus calls them and will call us to a much higher view of the law. And in the weeks ahead, we will see what that, what that means. For one thing, also notice how he summarized the law with a great commandment. He said it basically can summarize it like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He will fulfill the law. He does fulfill it. He, in perfect obedience, followed it. Followed it to the real letter. And he obeyed it even to the cross as he paid the penalty for our disobedience. Now, as we read along this call of Christ in our lives, it is a big order, and it is impossible to fulfill humanly. He, will fill it. he has filled it for us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He works in and through us and guides us that we are able to work towards it, to fulfilling it. 
He has not left us alone, but promised that presence. And here today we have the perfect illustration of his presence with us at this table. We'll be fed and sustained for Christ is the host here serving us. He will meet us in the end to lovingly challenge us to go forward. He has fulfilled the law and he will guide us. In the weeks ahead, as I said, we will unpack this call in section after section. But for today, know that Jesus has challenged us to a high calling. A calling that he has fulfilled. And a calling to which he will lead us. And a calling for which he is present with us today. Amen and thanks be to God.